Here's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you. By your spirit, you show us truth. Anoint your servant. I need your assistance. I'm about to speak what your mind and your will is. So may the victory you have planned for us manifest here today because we embrace the truth. Let your son be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Say with me, in the beginning, God. The Bible you hold today is the written will of God. It's God's revelation to the human race. It's compiled of 66 books, and God shares his thoughts and his will for humanity. The Bible begins with these four words, in the beginning, God. Simple. God has a formula for your victory. God wills that you succeed in your lifetime. God's given each of us a span of life and a time frame in which we get to live. And his will is, while here, we are successful on the journey. Whether we fulfill that purpose for which we were born or fail to fulfill that purpose depends on whether we heed the word of God. The scriptures contain the template for our victory and success in life. And much of what we need to see those victories about are all contained for us in these first four words of Scripture. God didn't stick the principle somewhere else in the Scripture, nor did he tack it onto the very end of the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. When God began to share his revelation of who he is with humanity, the very first words out of his mouth are these, in the beginning God. Simple principle. God first. So if you want to know what it takes, if you want to know the secret for a purpose-filled life, if you want to know what it means to be successful in serving the Lord and fulfilling your purpose, it's found in these four words. In the beginning, God. Victory always begins with putting God first. Now, if you want success in your marriage, success in raising your children, and boy, you're going to need help in this world today, raising your children, success in living your life, success in your business, it's always been, always will be God first. And the basis for success, the template for success is God first. And throughout the scripture, God reiterates the same theme, God first. You shall have no other gods before you. And did you desire a good marriage? Do you desire some favor in your business, the blessings of the Lord in your life? Jesus put it like this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these shall be added unto you. Operative word in that verse is added, added unto you. So aligning ourselves According to what God asks of us, he brings blessing back upon us, adds them to us. We are to seek God first. Now, God wanted us to see the placement and the position of the first four words in Genesis in its relationship to the Scripture, the priority that he is to have in our lives. That's why he says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. 
So he's saying, let's just get things straight from the get-go, right? Right from day one, let's understand this. If you get this much of my revelation right, then you have the blessing and the favor of my hand upon you for the rest of your life. God says, I want the priority. I want the preeminence. I want to be first in your life. He will not settle to be the God of our convenience. In our culture, we don't want anything that makes us uncomfortable, that stresses us, hmm, that inconveniences us, that requires the least amount of sacrifice. You know, God says, if you're going to put me first in your life, I will cause blessings to rest upon your life. I will add them to your life. And too many people believe that the only time you come to God is when nothing else works. And that's the attitude. That's the mentality of our culture. People treat God like he's FEMA, that he has to be called on only when there's a catastrophic event, a flood, a tornado, hurricane. Hello, we're FEMA, and we're here to help. Sir, when you're in a calamity, when your world is falling apart, people think that's what God's for. You know, after 9-11, and even after the Boston Marathon bombing, and we saw people rush back into the house of God for a little bit, and then they kind of calm down, and they leave again because they think, okay, everything's okay. I don't need to worry about God so much in my life. That's a dangerous position to take. And while we're still praying for the recovery of those affected in Boston, we have to remember God's going to be first in our lives, not just in crisis, all the time. There's some type of a terrorist attack, and all of a sudden, Everybody starts singing, God bless America. Yeah. God intends to be first in our lives all the time, not just in crisis or during a calamity. Repentance that's born in the storm usually dies out during the calm. When people repent just because they're in the storm, when the storm's over, they go right back to what they were once doing. I'm looking forward to the day, and it has not happened yet in four decades of ministry, forward to the day when somebody comes out into the lobby, shakes my hand after a service, and says, God has blessed me abundantly. My business is flourishing. I'm married to a wonderful spouse. I'm driving a beautiful automobile. I'm debt-free. God has delivered me. People seldom come to God and put him first when everything is going well. They just don't walk up and tell you how great things are going and give the glory to the Lord for the blessing and the favor of God in their lives. And the only time they start talking about God is when they've got a crisis. Why is it that their marriage has to start breaking down or they're losing their job or their debt goes through the ceiling? And God is in our lives during times like that for sure, no doubt. We thank God he's there when everything is falling apart. But I'm here to remind you today, it's a fantastic day when things are going well. And on these days that are going well, we ought to give him just as much of our praise, just as much as our worship and attention as we would if we were in a crisis. We must put God first. In the beginning, God. Even though at the time it seems you're going through a catastrophic moment, it's a good thing sometimes when our lives have fallen apart if it drives us straight toward the Lord. But it's a much better thing when you've come to God and you didn't have to go through all the heartbreak and all of the pain. You just put God first from the beginning 
Listen to me. I think the greatest testimony is not that I've been delivered from this or delivered from that or I've had this addiction or substance abuse or I spent time in prison and I messed up my... I believe the greatest testimony is that I put God first all of my life and he blessed me. All too often, people think of God last. But in all that we do, we ought to say, God is good and I'm going to put God first. Old gospel song somebody wrote. After you've tried everything else, try Jesus. I totally disagree with that. Do not sing that here, okay? Because the enemy's sitting over on the sidelines cheering you on. He's saying, sing it again. Sing it again. And after you've tried everything else, yeah, try Jesus. And then you just hope you're going to survive trying everything else. Because he would like nothing better than to get your, into the mindset of our students and of our children. Listen, this kind of an idea that you need to waste a great deal of your strength and waste your energy and waste your youth. Then you settle for Jesus. You need to think about Jesus after you've done everything else. Let me turn that around for you today. You can skip the pain. You can skip the heartache. You can skip the terrible failures Put God first. A good testimony is, I used to, but I don't anymore. But the better testimony is, I never did. The Bible is filled with scenarios of what happens when you put God first. First Kings chapter 17, there's this terrible economic famine that's happened because God has lifted the hand of blessing off of his people because of their rebellion and their disobedience. America's moved very close to that same place, by the way. And people were starving to death because God's hand of blessing was off of them. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. People began to die of starvation. There was no rain. There was no dew. But it tells us in this chapter that God sent the prophet, same prophet Elijah, to the widow's home. She was down to her last meal, and she said to herself, out of this, I'm going to make a final cake, and my son and I will eat it, and that's it. We're going to die. They were at the end, like so many at that time, who were living out their lives in great rebellion against the God of their nation, the God of their people. Now listen. Here's what God says through the prophet in this story. Elijah said to her, this same widow, do not fear. I like those words. Do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. And he's teaching her a principle that will take her through the worst of times. Listen to the key words in this verse. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. The word of God says that the widow did exactly that. Listen to the words of the prophet. He told her, don't be afraid. He's telling her, don't be afraid to put God first. This is what got our whole nation in trouble. He's telling her, but this will exempt you. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So Calvary Christian Center, in a financial calamity, 
Fear not. Put God first. And he's saying, fear not to put God first in your life. Don't ever fear when you put God first in your life, even when you don't see how. He's going to make a way. Because God made that widow's meal barrel replenish itself for three and one-half years and took her completely through the time of famine, exempted from the famine. Why? Because God, listen, how did it all happen? When she decided, I'm putting God first. And I'm saying to you today, it doesn't matter what the economy does. I'm telling you, put God first. And then you have a fear not from God. Don't ever fear putting God first. And if you put God first in your life, he puts you first in his provision, in his promises. Jesus said, and then these things shall be added unto you. Because in my living, I remember the words of the Lord that say, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. What's God saying? Here's what he's saying. You bring God the first. You give God his portion first. You set aside your tithe and you say, this belongs to God. You don't wait till you come to the end of the month and think, oh, I've got a little extra luck on my side this month and I've got this little leftover I'm going to give to the Lord. No, that's not how it works. That does not require any faith. That's not seeking first the kingdom of God. God says the tithe is the first. You take the tithe, you set it aside, and you say, this belongs to my God. And God says, when you obey my word in that way, you can say, fear not. God says, then you can fear not because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I will make a way for you. You take God's portion off of the top, not off of the bottom. And when you honor God, you'll all be able to watch him make a way where there seems to be no way in your life. And boy, when it gets quiet, it's cool, huh? Isn't it? In that day in which we're living, perhaps more than any in recent history, we need to understand that God is our provider. God is. Not a broken government. When you put God first, this is the formula for success in shaky economic times. They've got no formula for success because they've thrown God out of everything. But you stay with God. In the beginning, God. When we paid our tithes earlier in this service, we made God Lord over our finances this week. And because of that, those of you who paid your tithe, God will take care of you this week. He will add to you this week. Somehow, no matter how tough it gets, God makes a way. He will use others. He will bring blessings you unexpected. He promised to protect you. Promised, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And then he says this in Psalm 137. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Jerusalem is a type of the church. And the people who choose to make God's house and God's work first are people who generally have blessing, favor, and success. They're seeking first the kingdom because they make God's house their chief joy, chief of all their joys, the house of the Lord. 
It's a joy to look out in a congregation that's excited about being in the presence of the Lord. It's a joy to see people get here on time. They don't wait till the end of the worship. They come at the beginning of the worship because they can't wait to worship. It's a joy to see people not look for any excuse to miss an opportunity to be in church. Now, many times in the years that were our kind of, you know, beforehand years, earlier days of the church, predecessor years, churches would be filled in America on Sunday. They were eager to be in God's presence on Sunday, not only in the morning, but in the evening. I clearly remember our evening services larger than our morning services. As the day progressed, it got better. It was packed in the evening because back then there were less distractions. Hmm. There, were far less, there was far less on television on Sunday. Very little to watch. There were blue laws, which meant you could not find a mall or a store or a shopping center open on Sunday. They were all closed. Our economy was a little healthier then, too, by the way. Kind of interesting how that works. But greed has taken over. Very little entertainment ever happened on a Sunday. In the NFL, in its earliest days, they wrote right into their kind of rules for conduct that they never began a football game until noon or after on a Sunday so people could go to church in the morning before they came to watch a football game. So people showed up for church on Sunday in each service because they didn't have a whole lot else to do. And much of the time, they didn't have a lot of extra money to go spend on a lot of entertainment things in their lives. Maybe an ice cream cone after church on a Sunday night, cool off in the heat of summer. I heard about a family who came to church on a Sunday. And after the service, you know, they meandered out into the parking lot, got in their cars. They pulled out of the parking lot. All the members of the family in the car began to gripe. The dad said, the pastor preached too long today. The mother said, the audio system was too loud. Little girl in the back seat said, the worship team didn't do very well either. Little boy in the back seat said, that was a pretty good deal for one dollar. Let me make an announcement to you today. We're not here today because we have to be. We're not here today because we've got nothing else to do. We're here today because we believe that the best thing we could do is to come to church on a Sunday morning and put God first. I agree 100% with David. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen? I was glad. The devil never counted on you being in church again on a Sunday morning with all the distractions he's thrown your way, but here you are, and you ought to just lift your hands and give thanks to the Lord because God is good for no other reason because God is good. And every once in a while, we at Calvary Christian Center get a little bit excited and happy in our worship. Sometimes it's because someone had an amazing week and they sold their house or they got a promotion at their place of work or they found the person of their dreams or they discovered after years of prayer that God blessed them with pregnancy and child. The blessing of the Lord manifested. 
a good report came back from the doctor, and you yelled, thank you, Jesus. Amen. But one time, I'd like to know that someone is lifting their hands and praising the Lord, and they are exclaiming, I'm not healed yet. Nothing spectacular has happened yet, but he's just a good God, and I want to say thank you to him. And this is how I honor and praise him, by being there to worship him, because he is who he is. Praise and worship him because he's God. Because of who you are, I give you glory. You're Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Shalom. You put him first in your praise and worship, even if he has not as yet answered your prayers. In the beginning, God. We love the Lord. And this is how we raise our family successfully. You put God first. When you get into the parking lot and you turn, and you turn east out onto the frontage road and, and you head over there, don't be mumbling because there's a line there and you've got to kind of queue up to be able to turn north on El Margarita to jump up onto the highway. Listen, you ought to lift your hands and thank the Lord. There are people who are wanting to be in the presence of God and you get to be a part of it because at Calvary Christian Center, we're putting God first. We don't tack him on to the rest of our lives. We don't fit him in where it's convenient. We put God first at Calvary Christian Center. Once in a while, I'll hear someone talking in the congregation among, about prayer, and they'll say, well, if you can't do anything else, I guess it's time to pray. Really? And Paul says, therefore, I exhort first of all. So in the beginning, God, God first, first of all, before you do anything, pray. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So what do you do first? Pray. Before you call the doctor, pray. Before you call the attorney, pray. Before you call the pastor, pray. Before you text your best friend, pray. Before you post something you regret on Facebook, pray. Get your face out of Facebook and get your face into this book and pray. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you replace God with your technology and with people and things and money and power and stuff. And before anything else, God says, pray, which means you seek the face of the Lord. You bow your heart. And when something begins to happen, your first reaction automatically should be, Let's pray about it. Let's put it in God's hands first. Let's pray first. Some Christians act like religious atheists. They act like God isn't really there. He's just kind of tacked on somewhere. Prayer first. The great champions of Calvary Christian Center are not the people on the platform. The real champions of this church are the few who faithfully pray for this ministry. The real heroes of this ministry are those few heroes who pray and they seek the Lord on behalf of their spiritual leadership because they pray and they fast. We get to celebrate together publicly what we have won privately because we have sought the face of God. And your pastor leads the way by example in prayer, in crying out to God, in studying to show myself approved. Calvary Christian Center, return to prayer. Put prayer back into your life as a priority. Fellowship with the Lord. There's something about a man and a woman in a marriage. You join hands and they pray first before they take other steps. 
They don't just bolt out of the house or immediately start texting everybody or jump in on Facebook before they run off to the job with the burdens and the stresses waiting them. They, before they make decisions, they come together in unity and they pray first. And it's not necessarily how long you pray, it's how quickly you believe. It's that act of humbling yourself before the Lord. It's the posture of your heart. It's bowing your heart and saying, God, today I acknowledge you. I need you. I look to you. Help me today. I invite you to step into my day, to take control of my decisions in every area. I I receive your wisdom. I receive your guidance. Thank you for that, Father. I'll praise you today in all my ways. When I walk into this office today, you will walk into this office with me in Jesus' name. Hear me today. You'll be amazed at how your life will start to change when you start practicing those principles. And I'm telling you how to have a successful day, a successful week, a successful month, a successful year. It all begins with seeking God first, praying first. You open this book and you read it first. And when you put God first, then his favor, his blessings begin to overtake your life. Those are added unto you. When you pray, it's like making a deposit into your spiritual bank account. The problem is many people don't pray. It's kind of an interesting thing with all the people that have Bibles in America, so few of them open them under 35%, read them on a daily basis. Fewer than that pray every single day. They don't pray. They go all day long and write checks that spiritually bounce because they have not made a deposit in their prayer bank. And notice Jesus would go and pray sometimes most of the night. Then the next day he'd go out and he, he would he'd run devils out of people. He laid hands on them or spoke to them and saw healing happen. And he never bounced a prayer check. Everyone he prayed for, everyone he went to, he helped them. He healed them. He restored them because he was always making deposits in his prayer bank account. And he would slip away. He would step away and he goes spend some time with his father. He even asked his disciples one night, could you not tarry with me or pray with me for one hour? For one hour in the late hours of the night, in the early hours of the day, Jesus was praying. What was he doing? He was filling up his prayer account. So when he faced the issues of his day, when he faced devils, when he faced incurable diseases, when he faced the belligerence of the religious establishment, he had power, he had wisdom, he had direction, and he had the will of the Father. Because at that very moment, when that crisis strikes, you're probably not going to have much time to bow your head and start praying a prayer. You will need to draw on the reservoir of what you filled up in advance. Because if you prayed at the beginning of the day and you prayed at the end of the day, your bank account spiritually is filled up. It covers you all day long and covers your family as well. And then there was this final thought, the miracle of God's timing. Jesus commands his disciples, said, we need to get to the other side. They need to cross the Sea of Galilee because there's ministry opportunity awaiting them. So while they're crossing the sea, a huge storm begins to blow in across the lake. And on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. 
They had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's a nice way of saying, Hey, we're dying. Wake up. Okay? Jesus is on board the ship. He's there with his disciples. He's already told them we're going across. So he's been the back of the ship, and he's asleep. And get the picture. Watch. As long as it was clear sailing, it's okay, Jesus, relax. Stay there, okay? That's where you belong back here. And it hardly gave him a thought being back there. You know, he's on my ship. Thank God I'm born again. As long as the sun is shining, I'm not going to bother with him. I'm okay. Jesus doesn't belong in the back part of your ship asleep. Because you can have Jesus on board and still encounter a storm. No matter where he is on board, you will face storms. And if you put him way back in the corner of your life and just assume that's okay for you to be back there, when the storm comes, afraid you will be. (laughs) It's not enough to have Jesus on your ship. As long as the skies are clear, the sun is shining, Everything's going your way, and you never interact with him that much. He's just, you know, he's convenient to have on board. You just take him for granted that he's there. He's not necessarily engaged in all your decision-making. He's just there. And you see, you need to have him right up front in the bow of your ship with his hands on the helm. Jesus needs to be on deck, hands on the helm, when the skies are clear and the sun is shining, because when the storms arise, and they will At that time, you will not be afraid because nothing's changed. He's been with you in the good times. He's also with you in the bad times. And what time I am afraid, David said, I will trust in you. I'm in communion with him whether times are good or whether times are bad. I pray if the sun is shining. I pray if the storms are raging. Jesus is with me. He's awake. He's on board. He's in my life. He's not in the back of the ship. He's up front with me, awake, aware, and his hands have the helm of my ship. Kind of like this is the way it works for some Christians. You know, you hear a certain person's voice on the phone or bump into them, and as soon as they begin to speak, your mind immediately asks the question, what's wrong now? Know what I'm saying? Because, you know, they never interact with you when times are good. Never walk up to you and express their joy at the goodness of the Lord. Rarely connect with you. Rarely encourage you. Hardly ever have any time to just let you know God's been good. Things are well. I'm blessed and favored. They rarely ever connect with you to tell you they appreciate you, are thankful for you, or are praying for you. The only time they call you, the only time they communicate The moment you hear their voice, here's what happens. This is going to be negative. And immediately think, now what's wrong? What are they complaining about today? I wonder on those occasions when God does hear from you, that immediately goes through his mind. I wonder what's wrong this time. Because I know they hardly ever call me during a clear, sunny, blessed day. They hardly ever praise me when everything's going well. 
They'll hardly ever put me first unless they're facing some catastrophic environment. So when God hears your voice, does he think, my God, what's wrong now? (laughs) God first. Always. In everything, God first. In the beginning, God. That's the four-word formula for the favor of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord in your life. If you'll put him first, you'll have his blessing, you'll have his favor, you'll have his attention. Sounds simple, but never forget what God told Joshua when he took the leadership of the nation of Israel, about to take them into the promised land. And so Joshua now is charged with leadership, and he says to Joshua, God does, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Notice it says meditate it, meditate on it day. That means when the sun comes up, speak to me, Lord, today. Give me direction today, Lord. Now watch. If you read this book and meditate on its principles, it will read you. And then he says, and night, and night, not just day, so that you're constantly through the course of the day from the time the sun rises to the time the sun sets throughout the course of the evening when you've laid your head on your bed to rest. Your thoughts have continuously been flowing in and out of the truths of God's Word. And it's affecting everything you choose to do. Read the Word for your own personal spiritual development for your spiritual strength. I promise you, when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find Him. When you're seeking the will of God first in your life, He'll bring you astonishing confirmations of what blessings He's bringing in your direction. All of a sudden, you'll watch things just click into place. Click, 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 click. Before you know it, once you've been in the pit, and overnight you're in the palace, and you've mounted up with wings to soar. When you go into the Word, God's bringing some things to pass in your life. You're searching the Scripture. You're meditating. You're waiting on the Lord. All of a sudden, He will lead you to a passage that absolutely nails it. I mean, just bam. And you could never have thought it up the way God presented it to you, the way He shares it with you through His own Word. And you walk away with exactly what you needed because God took His Word applied it straight to your need. That's God when you put him first. And if you'll put God first, you're not going to be afraid in the storm. So take Jesus from the backside of that ship. Get him to the front, to the bow. Put him in front of yourself and say to him, would you please get out on the bow of this ship? It's like they did in the movie Titanic. (laughs) And you take direction of my life. You take me where I need to go. Because if I'm hanging on to the helm of this ship, I'll be on the rocks. I'll, I'll be on the reef. But if you'll take the helm of the ship, no matter what storm I face, I know, like the disciples that day, you're going to get me safely to the other side. And you say, Master, you're not going to go to sleep on my ship. I love you, and I want you up front And I want you first, not in the back of my life, but in the front of my life. 
taking me on this journey. Wow. So you know what? We ought to stand up right now. Lift our hands. Give thanks to God. Come on, give thanks to God. And you need to tell the Lord, I want you to be first in my life.